So we are in a series here called God's Good Design. Pastor Tim kicked us off um, last Sunday and I think he, um, he shot pretty straight with the title of this series because it is all about God's good design uh, for us and for creation. And so uh, last week uh, we looked at this deep uh, desire we all have to flourish right, to experience the best version of ourselves, to um, experience the best version of life, to have a real deep, fulfilling sense of who we are and why we are here. And we saw that if, um, if you want to experience that life, if you want to experience true joy, true fulfillment, true purpose, we need to connect with the God who created us and trust in his good design. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis 1, Um, and if you're new to the Bible, it should be fairly easy because Genesis is the very first book, Uh, maybe a few pages, table of contents, uh, some things like that. Um, But Genesis 1 is where we're going to start. We'll start in verse 26, but real quick, just as a reminder, last week we saw God as creator, right? We looked at the creation account and saw that in the very beginning was God, And that over the course of five days, God creates uh, all of the natural world. He fills it with uh, birds and with animals and with um, sea creatures and everything that uh, fills all of the earth. And every day he looks at it and says, it is good. It is good. Things are amazing. They're just the way they're supposed to be. We get to day six in creation. Um, that's where we're picking up in verse 26 here. So Genesis 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then he goes on to um, explain the, the dominion and rule humanity is to have over creation. And skip down with me to verse 31. It says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Very good. Okay, let's look at a few key sections here, starting in the very beginning of verse um, 26 here. Look at this first phrase. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Us, our. Who is this talking about here, right? Who's, Who's speaking Well, again, at the very beginning of verse 26, it says, then God said. It's God who's saying us. It's God who's saying our. So let's dive into this for a moment here. Um, Theologians, Bible scholars, they've coined this term, which um, you've probably heard before. It's the Trinity, right? Or this idea that God is uh, Trinitarian, This is kind of a hard thing for us maybe to wrap our minds around, but stick with me here for a moment. God exists eternally, right? So no no beginning and no end as one essence, one God, but in three distinct persons, each of which are fully and equally God. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The term Trinity simply means three in oneness. And admittedly, this is a bit of a tricky, like, wait, is, is he three or is he one? Um, Wayne, Wayne Grudem captures this challenging truth quite simply. Uh, this is simple. I do not mean it will be easy to fully wrap your mind around, but um, he says these uh, three simple truths. He says, um, God is three persons. Each person is fully God and there is one God. Right? Simple in concept, but challenging to wrap our minds around. I have um, four young children, and so anytime this comes up, it is a challenge for me to, to uh, fully uh, explain to them. But it's, Scripture is so clear that while each member of the Trinity is a distinct person, Deuteronomy 6.4, it affirms that the Lord our God is one. Our passage here in Genesis 1.26, it gives us a, a picture of both the plurality of personhood and the unity of one essence when it says, let us make man in our image. Right? It is not let us make man in our images. Let's find a way to find the average of whatever we are and, and put that onto humanity. No, it's one image. It's the image of God. There is one God. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus mentions three distinct persons of the Trinity, but united under one name. And so while this uh, reality might be hard for us, it is what scripture puts forth. And so this triune God, this creator God, the one who's creating humanity in his image, who is he and what is he like? We can't put God into a few bullet points here, but, but these are just some of the things as I was studying and reading this week that, um, that settled in my heart and mind, and maybe, maybe one of these will catch your attention this morning for you to study this week. This God, he is holy, right? He is set apart. He is different from the rest of his creation. This God is righteous, morally perfect, never doing wrong. He is good and loving, he is forgiving. He is patient, yet not slow to fulfill his promises. He is just, being always fair and upright in how he acts. He is faithful, always completing what he says he will do. He's the giver of good gifts. He is truth. There is no falsehood in him. He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. So if this triune God, this good, just, patient, giver of good gifts, worthy of all honor and praise, God, he made all these different good things. On day six, he creates something completely different. Something that when he looks at it, he says, ooh, it's very good. Something made exclusively in his image. And part of why it's very good is because humanity is the one thing that bears God's image. So what exactly does that mean? What does in his image mean? Simply put, this is just a, a, a simple way, we'll dive into it a little bit more, but it's that humanity is designed to reflect God to the world around us. 
right? Humanity's designed to be a mirror of who God is and what he's like to the rest of his creation. Now, as I said, as you get a little further into this, you read um, serious Bible scholars and thinkers, um, everyone sort of ends up with their own categories of, of what is the image of God and how do we organize it and understand it. Um, I, there's a lot there. I've got two categories um, I'm going to put forth for us today. And they are substance and function. Substance and function. And these two things together uh, make up what it means to bear the image of God. So first, let's talk substance or like substantive characteristics, right? Again, as I survey scripture, see the things that I think form the basis of this, um, these first two in my mind are so foundational. The first, uh, what it means to bear God's image, that we are designed for personal relationship. We are designed for personal relationship. Now, first and foremost, this is with God, with our creator, God. You are designed to be in perfect personal relationship with God. But we also see in this passage that humanity is designed for relationship with one another. We see this in the creation of Adam and Eve, a, a man and a woman designed for complementary relationship with one another. But we're not only talking about marriage. God's design <clears throat> is for family, for friendship, for moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins, friendships, working alongside one another, relationship, designed for personal relationship. Here's another part of bearing the image of God. It's designed for life everlasting. Life everlasting. From the day you were created, from then on, forever, relationship with God, connection to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are moral beings, right? We have a recognition that there's something larger than ourselves that we're accountable to. There is a standard, there is a being, there is something bigger than us. And that our actions matter. We have intellect, the ability to think carefully in both very solid, concrete ways and abstract problem solving. We have emotions the capacity to feel and, and express incredibly complex things. Feel happiness and sadness at the same split second moment. We can empathize with others. We have creativity. You look at all the amazing things God created out of nothing. And then you begin to see the way people in this very room make music and art scientific discoveries, literature, problem solving, the beautiful way God has imprinted creativity into us. We even image God in, in some way, shape, or form physically. We see throughout scripture, right, we're told that, that God hears us. Well, God has given us ears to hear. We see that God speaks. He's given us mouths to speak we know God sees, he has given us eyes to see. We know Jesus had a human body and that he is the perfect image of the invisible God. So there's a way in which even the creation of our bodies image characteristics of who God is. 
So these are good and right ways in which we image God, but these um, substantive characteristics also have function, have been given to us for a reason. And Tim is going to break this down in the coming weeks, so I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but just a quick uh, survey of some terms we see. Humanity is designed to rule and subdue and have dominion. We see so clearly in the creation account that God is the authority and the ruler, the one with all power. But we also see that he creates humanity as almost these these mini rulers who are supposed to live in his creation, reflect his rule and reign to the creation around them, to take what's currently there that's, that's unformed or unshaped and shape it into stuff that reflects God's glory and goodness. In that next section there, when he talks about being fruitful and multiplying, right? If we think of the image of God, right? Humanity bears the image of God. And so they were told to go have kids to spread that image across all of creation, that all of creation would be shaped into the same beautiful, uh, glorifying goodness as the Garden of Eden, They'd have kids who are ruling faithfully over creation and that everything would become a beautiful, God-honoring, worshiping place. Now, there are certainly more things that could fall into those categories. There are more things we could explore and talk about. But because of the image of God in us, Because the very things that God is himself, he's imprinted versions of that onto us to reflect to his creation. Every single human has incredible value and worth. Right? We see that it's not just, the image of God is not just like a thing that we have. It's something that we are. That God has actually... uh, imprinted or put this on us. It is core to who we are. But if you start to think about that and you think of the the best, most perfect, most pure versions of those things, it really doesn't take long to realize, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm living up to all of that. Or the person at my work sure isn't, or the person, you know, who I, you know, neighbors, whatever it is, We see, you know, turn on the news, whatever it is, we see it so quickly that things are not the way they're supposed to be. Instead of reflecting the goodness of who God is to the world around us, we abuse the authority or responsibility that we've been given in life. We fail to do our work in a way that honors God. We hoard the time and energy and resources that God's given us We get carried away by our emotions. We use our intellect and physical abilities for our own selfish gains, right? We use our creativity to to get around rules and invent new ways to twist the good gifts that God's given us. And many people who are designed for life forever with God will spend life forever separated from God. And not only that, but because of the effect of sin on the world, some of these things like intellect, emotions, creativity, even our own physical bodies, we experience sometimes just a, a fraction of what could be. 
right? Maybe you're sitting there, you hear the word creative and you, know, you go, oh man, you should see me draw. Like, I don't know, that, I don't even know I'm made in the image of God if creativity is a part of the equation there. Or maybe, right, a little bit of a more serious note, maybe it's a disease that's riddled your body. Maybe it's a, a child, right, that never quite fully formed within its mother's womb, never made it outside. Maybe it's a struggle that you've had to, to learn, to read, to express how you're feeling. You're experiencing serious brokenness when it comes to the image of God. Let me assure you, you are still human. You still bear God's image. You can still live within God's good design. But here's the thing, when we, when we deny the image of God, whether it's in ourselves or whether it's in someone else, it is not just an offense to that person. Right, that person's made in the image of God, but it's not just an offense to that person. It's an offense to the one whose image they bear. It's an offense to God himself. We see in Genesis 9-6, the reason that murder is prohibited in Genesis 9-6 is because humanity bears the image of God. And it's not just destroying that person, it's destroying the image of God that they bear. Right, So yes, sin is real and it hampers our ability to image God, but that image is not gone. Whether it's a bit buried under the dirt and grime of sin, whether that perfect mirror we're designed to be has turned into one of those goofy fun house mirrors that makes you all disproportionate, um, whether it's just marred, scripture is so clear that it's still there. And this is such a critical truth because um, think about where this leads if we deny that reality. Imagine for a moment that we do not believe humanity is made in the image of God. Right? If humanity is not made in the image of God, if we are simply uh, animals like any other creature on earth, well, then there's nothing particularly um, unique or special about humanity aside from somehow we navigated our way to the top of the food chain, right? Survival of the fittest, we, we made it to the top spot. Well, what grounds would there be to stand on in defense of human dignity, worth, and value? What about those who aren't the fittest in whatever the category is? What about when someone exploits or abuses a child? What about when someone who's sick needs high levels of medical care and attention relative to what they can return to society? What about someone who's poor in need of social assistance or some kind of safety net to provide for their daily needs? What about someone who's aging and, and who can't contribute much to the family but requires so much energy, resources, attention? What if in a split second of unfortunate circumstances, you fell into one of those categories. If it's survival of the fittest, if we're just creatures like anyone else and we made it to the top spot, the reasonable answer to any of that should just be, yeah, get rid of them. Yeah, we, what's the point? And we might stand around and go, no, 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 no. 
Maybe you could appeal to your, your love for that person. I would say, okay, but I think you only feel that because you're probably made in the image of a loving God. Okay, well, yeah, but just it's the right thing to do. Which again, I think you're bearing resemblance to your creator who is moral and just and right, who cares for the downtrodden and the oppressed. But it's God's image that puts value on us. And if we take the thought or belief that we're just animals, created the same as anything else, evolved over time, I just don't see any solid ground for us to stand on in defense of human value, worth, and dignity. But if we are made in the image of God, even the worst of us, even the worst of us is designed for relationship with our creator, designed to reflect and image him. And so if, uh, if sin is real though, if people really believe that, if brokenness is everywhere around us, to the point where there are many people who can't comprehend how there would be a loving God, how can we experience all of this and you still say that there's a God who loves us and is there for us? Well, as we have said last week, if we are created in the image of a good and loving God who has a design for us, then it is right that we would be reconnected, reoriented towards, right? Restored to relationship with that creator. If we're created in his image, it would only make sense that the solution to this problem would be reconnecting with God himself. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God. Right? If anyone could show us what it looks like to perfectly image God, it's Jesus. Part of the beauty of Jesus is that he not only perfectly bears the image of God, but that he does it in our place. Jesus came not only to display an, an unachievable standard, but he came to meet that standard on your behalf. Jesus came to perfectly image God so that imperfect image bearers could be made perfect. He obeyed in your place. He accomplished the thing that you could not. And the Bible is clear that our sin, our brokenness, our failure to image God rightly, that deserves death. That's the only just punishment is death. But God in his mercy and grace, sent Jesus to die in your place. Jesus died on a cross, punished, humiliated, scoffed at, laughed at, all things that we deserve because of our sin. Jesus died, was buried in a tomb, 
And it looked for a bit like sin and death had won. It looked like, yep, this is just what we're in for. There's no way out. But God, beautiful words in scripture, but God raised Jesus from the grave, proving that everything Jesus said and did was trustworthy and that Jesus Christ was God himself. And the beauty of this is that um, it is not just a a decision you make and then God uh, gives you a big high fives and scoots you along. God actually gives us his spirit. Right? We're told that you, you actually get the spirit of God inside of you, that you don't need to be ruled by your own desires and passions, but that you actually give those things up and that now you actually have the ability to obey, to walk in right standing with God, to live according to his good design. And so if you're someone who looks at the world around you and sees brokenness, you look within you and see brokenness, you just wish life was better and different than it is. God's invitation to you is to believe in Jesus, to step into relationship with him. So if you're someone who goes, you know, okay, I I think I've made that decision. I think I get it. I kind of understand image of God. I've you know, if you've been a Christian for a while, Genesis 1 might be so kind of uh, standard that you, you've read it a, quite a bit. You get it. But you're going, Nate, I need, I need you to give me three things to do this week. Well, you are in luck because I have three things for you to do this week. Three invitations for you. So first, one of our elders, Denny Adams, taught um, from this very pulpit on... Uh, I keep wanting to say Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, about abiding in Christ. And that is my first thing for you. Abide in Christ. Stay connected to him. Continue to get to know him through his word and through prayer. You can spend time meditating on his word and seeking to be with him. You think of any good friend that you have or person you know well, That relationship was nurtured over time, walking through life together, talking to one another, listening to one another. Be with God. Psalm 139 paints this picture of the creator God who knows us deeply. I think so many times we we can walk through life going, I'm trying to figure out who I am, why I'm here, what I'm trying to do, and we pick up the book, we're you know, the online influencer of some sort who's got this picture of the good life for me. Psalm 139 says, if you want to know yourself better, if you want to know God better, go to God. He knows us. He is the the gateway towards fullness of life. All right, so first is abide in Christ. Second, Seek to be conformed to his image. Seek to be conformed to his image. It's like an active step that you need to take, a posture in which you need to live your life. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, God has made it possible for us 
to be shaped and formed and conformed to his image. Colossians 3.10 talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self, which it says is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Romans 8.29, it talks about us being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about how as we collectively behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into that same image of our glorious God. Another term for this would be, would be sanctification. Be letting God form and shape us more and more into his image. And when people see the life of a believer they should increasingly see a more accurate picture of who God is, what he is like, and what he cares about. Right, so seek to be conformed to his image. And lastly, thing number three here, share what God is doing in your life. Share what God is doing in your life. The more we get to know God, the more we remember his loving kindness towards us, his sacrifice on our behalf, the more we seek to be conformed to his image and reflect that to others, the more I think God will stir our hearts. The more we'll begin to see brokenness around us. And our, our answer to brokenness does not need to be push it away. It's scary. I think the more God works in us, the more he is gonna give us eyes to see opportunities to step in, opportunities to share the truth with someone. I don't know about you, but a, a prayer for me lately, I, I actually don't often have trouble seeing opportunities. I have trouble stepping into those opportunities. I'll pray, oh God, would you give me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody and you're in that conversation and there's that little nudge and I stay quiet. Lean in to your sanctification. Lean into being shaped in God's image and as we do, he will give us the boldness and strength. 2 Corinthians 5.20 captures this idea so well for me. Paul speaking, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, right? We are representatives of his. We are people who image who he is to the world around us. He says, God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are people made in his image, made to reflect who he is to the world around us. And God invites us to share that message with others. So we become more and more shaped into the image of God. That natural overflow will be to share who he is and what he's done. And as we invite others to join us, to put their faith in Jesus, to be reconciled to God, allowing God to slowly shape inform us and uncover that good, beautiful, right image of God.
for these three things. I have a, as a pastor who I respect who um, frames this as simply as be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. It's so simple. And it's my prayer for us as image bearers today. Would you guys pray with me? God, you are good. And thank you for, thank you for Genesis 1. Forgive me, God, for the times and ways in which um, Genesis 1 has felt stale or old or um, uninteresting to me. But God, we know that your design is good. We know that you have designed us for a relationship with you. You've designed us to reflect um, who you are to the world around us. God, forgive us for the ways in which we fall short or deny that in other people. Conform us to your image. Teach us to become more and more like you. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear opportunities to represent you well? And would you give us the courage and boldness to step into them? God, we love you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for joining us today. Our Sunday morning services are at 9 and 1040 a.m. You can join us online for our services by going to akronlive.thechapel.life. For more information about the chapel, please visit our website at thechapel.life.